This podcast is by G. Wayne Miller for the Providence Journal. Hi, I'm Mark Lurie. I'm an Associate Professor of Epidemiology at Brown School of Public Health and an Infectious Disease Epidemiologist. So, Mark, thanks for coming on and, and joining our conversation here with, with the Providence Journal and our audience. Let's start with uh, sort of your assessment of where the state of Rhode Island is during the pandemic. Sure. I mean, I think in many ways Rhode Island is better off at this point, and it's worth stressing at this point because things can change very quickly. Um, I think Rhode Island is better off than many states. Clearly, in the last couple of weeks, even uh, six weeks or two months, as states uh, in the South, particularly in the South and the Southwest, have reopened, we've seen a huge uh, resurgence in cases there. Um, And fortunately, the Northeast is not currently experiencing that research and Rhode Island falls within that category. There are some unsettling signs, I would say, um, the last couple of days or weeks indicating some increases in the number of cases in Rhode Island. But the numbers are relatively small, even though the percentage increase looks like it's very large. The numbers are still relatively small. Uh, And so I'd say that in many ways, Rhode Island is much better off than many other parts of the country particularly uh, the South and Southwest, um, which is not to say we're doing fantastically or we're in the clear. Um, One of the signs of a state that has things under control is its ability to test a large number of people. Um, And Rhode Island for a long time was leading the nation in testing per capita. Um, Sadly, we've fallen behind on that measure and we're now only reaching about, testing about, doing about 75% of daily tests that we should be doing. Um, so um, Rhode Island, on the, on the plus side, we're one of a few, about 10 states that have um, a less than 5% positive test rate, which is, a, which is a very good sign. And an indicator, one of several indicators that um, things are ready to, to at least be, it's that we're at least ready to consider reopening. Um, so we have a 3% positivity rate, which is, which is very encouraging. The discouraging side is, is that the number of tests that are being conducted are not sufficient, and only about 75% of the target number that we should be achieving. Certainly not uh, as dire as the current situation in the south and southwest of this country. What are the factors behind um, this lower rate of testing or, or not a high enough rate of testing? Have you looked into that? That is not clear to me. Um, in, in fact, when I, when I looked at the numbers in preparation for this interview, um, I was surprised that Rhode Island had, uh, had the numbers that it had because, as I said before, uh, just weeks ago, we were among the leaders in the country in terms of per capita testing. So it's unclear to me um, why we've slowed down and what's behind that. That's certainly the question that the governor or uh, the head of the Department of Health uh, should should answer, but I, I don't have that at my fingertips. Understanding that uh, predictions and forecasts are are an inexact science at best, and certainly the course of this pandemic has proved that true, but... Do you have any general sense of what uh, the state of Rhode Island 
we'll be looking at as the rest of the summer progress and then as, uh, as September comes and schools in, in some fashion return, including Brown, including public schools, in, including sure. you know, high schools and, and grammar schools. And, and again, that's a very mixed bag on who's doing what and how, but can you speak just sort of generally about the next uh, two or three months? Sure. I mean, I think it, it all very much depends on how we behave, on how our leaders behave, and on how we as citizens behave. Um, I think that it's become clear across the country that if you open quickly and too quickly and you don't mandate the wearing of masks, you're going to have a major resurgence. Um, so there are a lot of lessons to be learned from other states that have opened much earlier and much quicker than us, which are currently in, in really dire straits, producing record numbers of cases. Um, so there, there are things that we can learn from other states. Really, um, it's, it's more on the negative side, things that we learn not to do, uh, which is to open up very quickly and to send mixed messages about uh, mask wearing and social distancing. These are the things that are helping to drive the major resurgence across the country. And we have an opportunity in Rhode Island to avoid those with strong leadership and with um, good positive and consistent public health messages. How an individual, a resident of the state of Rhode Island, all one million of us, assess risk in terms of going out where they can go, under what conditions they can go, and, and also a risk in terms of just uh, at home, in terms of having people over, parties, uh, that whole thing. How, how would you advise people because everyone, you know, it's an individual decision. We can't control human behavior, um, you know, on an indiv individual level like that. So it's really choices that people have to make. So give us some wisdom and, and guidance on that. Well, the way that I think about it is that um, there's mounting evidence that transmission outdoors, while it's certainly possible, is much less frequent and uh, much less uh, likely as compared to indoors. So um, if you're going to socialize, you're literally 10 to 20 times better off socializing outside than you are inside. That's the uh, approximate ratio of likelihood of transmission inside versus outside. Um, so that's one huge way to mitigate your risk is to make sure that if you're, if you're unable to social distance, then at least you do it outside where the air is circulating uh, much more efficiently uh, and you're therefore much less likely to be exposed. Um, knowing an individual's risk and how much risk each person is willing to take is very difficult and it's an, an individual-based uh, decision. Some people will be willing to live with more risk than others. Um, uh, some people uh, will only be comfortable if they're able to completely uh, minimize that risk. And I don't say eliminate the risk because I don't think there's any way to get to zero. Um, but certainly if you um, do the things that we've been talking about, you know, since the beginning of this pandemic, uh, that is you um, <clears throat> remain isolated from other people, you wear a mask at all times when interacting with other people, you stay outside when interacting with other people as much as possible, and, um, and you get tested uh, frequently, and particularly uh, if you have any signs or symptoms, and then you isolate uh, if you 
or um, if you come back with a positive test. Um, so these are things that have been, you know, applied uh, globally and are known to be effective at mitigating the transmission of COVID. It's not new. It's not rocket science. It's not, um, you know, a new drug that's going to help us right now. It's really comes down to simple things about what our individual choices are and what our behavior is. Uh, and I'm not in a position to tell people how to behave, but I can tell you that mixing in a large group of people inside who are unmoist is currently an extremely dangerous thing to do and, and a thing that I personally would not want to uh, participate in at, at all if I have the choice. I think it's evident, it seems evident at least, that um, until we get a vaccine, life is going to remain very different than it was before the pandemic in all the ways that you're talking about in terms of behavior and, and safeguards and things people should do. do. What are you hearing in terms of when when a vaccine might be available? And, and just in general, what are you hearing about development of a vaccine? Sure. I mean, you're right. That is... Um Right now, I think it's, it's become clear that our uh, individual and collective efforts to mitigate this pandemic are, you know, at best making only a small dent in the pandemic. The global numbers continue to go up. The numbers in the U.S. continue to go up. Uh, so um, something different is going to be needed if we're going to start to bring the numbers down. And the best hope, obviously, for that is a highly effective vaccine that's uh, immediately available. Um, reality dictates that 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 is that immediate is going to actually be quite a long time. Um, the best that that um, medical science has done in terms of developing a vaccine is a four-year time period. Um, we're trying to compress that down into less than one year, uh, and which is a which is a big. Uh, it's a big ask for, uh, uh, for the development of a new vaccine for obvious reasons. Um, uh, even if we develop that vaccine successfully in one year, there's still going to be lots of questions about ramping, scaling up production, uh, about who gets the vaccine first, uh, about whether there's enough doses for everybody. So that the vaccine itself, while it may be a future magic bullet is not without its complications. And it's certainly going to be multiple months, if not years, until we have an effective vaccine. The plus side is that I think it's fair to say that we're in an unprecedented effort to develop vaccines. And I say plural because there are multiple vaccines in the dozens uh, potential vaccines that are in, currently in various stages of being testing. Uh, of being tested in human populations. Uh, so that's very positive that we haven't um, put all of our eggs in one basket and hope that one vaccine that we're investing in will be the one that works, but instead there are a broad array of vaccines that are currently in various stages of testing. Um, some of those vaccines that are starting to show initial promise are even entering the phase of ramping up production, even though there's still a lot more testing to be done. And they're doing that on the hopes that if the drugs, if the vaccines turn out to work well, that we'll be then well ahead of uh, in, in the production process. We don't have to wait to set up a new factory to produce this new vaccine. 
but actually some of these factories are, are being funded, federally funded and being set up uh, uh, so that when a vaccine comes, they're almost fully functional and ready to start producing, you know, millions, if not tens of millions of doses. Um, so there's some good news on the horizon for me in terms of just the, the broad approach and the large investment in multiple different vaccines. Um, but, I, but at the same time, one has to return to the reality that no vaccine has ever been developed in less than four years. And while I would expect that, that given the huge um, uh, investment that we've made for this current vaccine, that four years is probably a long timeline, uh, you know, one year, I would say, is also very optimistic. Um, so uh, we have a long way to go, but certainly there are many people working on it and much investment going into uh, both developing, testing, and then eventually producing and distributing an effective vaccine. Thank you, Mark, for joining us. Uh, stay safe. Be well. Thanks for having me.